0: I'm Hannah Hermanson, and you're listening to The Feminine Marketing Show, the place where you can learn all about nailing your marketing strategy and growing your business in a fun, fresh, and feminine way. As the CEO of the Feminine Marketing Boutique and an expert vacationer, I'm here to let you in on how to align your marketing strategy with the vision of your highest queen self. You know, the one who manifests high vibe clients easily and prioritizes pleasure and play. Stop chasing and start attracting. It's the feminine principle that's missing from your marketing. And if you wanna play the energy game with us, I'll be here every week with my best advice, trainings, and mindset shifts so you can grow your business with ease, integrity, and so much joy. If you ever heard me talk about your zone of genius, today we are going straight to the source and we are sitting down with the legend, the author, the amazing man himself, Dr. Gay Hendrix. Because I have a feeling that when I say Dr. Gay Hendrix changed my life, I'm not alone. You are likely familiar with some of his work from Conscious Loving to The Big Leap to genius zone and each of his books especially the big leap has influenced the way that I live and the way that we run the business so this is who we have to thank for getting 100% into our creativity and building our lives and our businesses around our unique brilliance our zone of genius and Letting the rest be taken care of in other ways, which we get to in this conversation. And my new friend, Dr. Hendricks, is a psychologist, writer, and teacher in the field of personal growth, relationships, and body intelligence. And today, I am delighted to chat with him about what it takes to get your brilliance out into the world and operate from a place of excellence. But what holds us back from truly fulfilling that potential and stepping 100% into our gifts and into our highest selves is fear. We know this, right? And especially when we look at using our feminine energy, there's a lot of fear that can come up about what it actually means. Like, are we actually able to just do what we love, right? There's so much fear that can quickly come behind that question for, for me, for sure. So we know that we face fear. We know that things come up when we want to put ourselves out there, when we decide that we're going to live in our unique brilliance. But in this candid chat about his own weaknesses, Dr. Hendricks talks about how even he used to struggle with delegation, which is essential to becoming your truest, highest self. He realized that he could delegate in a way and this is exactly what we now get to teach because he's taught us this. But he realized that in empowering others to live in their zone of genius by delegating to them, he frees himself up from the heavy and hard things that prevented him from living in his zone of genius, his best life. So you're going to hear so much true life. He's so generous in his sharing. And I know you're going to connect with what he's talking about because it's not about being a female, but it's about tuning into the feminine energy principles of collaboration, trust, letting things be easy, flowing downstream. And he has the tools and tactics to help us move into the quadrant of our being. That is our zone of genius. And I I know this is resonating with you because somewhere inside of you, if you are listening to this conversation and you're drawn to Gay's work or my work, is this question in you of like, isn't there a better way? Didn't I come to this earth school with certain gifts to to share? Like, does it have to be all this other heavy and hard marketing and taxes. And Gay and I talk about that, those things that come up on our path of entrepreneurship that make us question our gifts, make us question if it can be easy. So enjoy this conversation because I feel like you are gonna be ready to take those tactical steps into your next quantum leap, into that big leap, Um, because he is the trailblazer and because he has not only the system and the process and the book that tells you exactly how to make a big leap, but he also is a force generator in human design, which means he's relatable and he breaks things down in ways that feel easy and manageable, which is exactly the path that we want to follow, right? All right. Well, enjoy this conversation and meet my new friend, Dr. Gay Hendricks. All right, Dr. Hendricks, you said you trusted my intuition. And my first question is just throwing you right in the deep end here. Okay. I'm so curious to know, how much do you feel you are living in your zone of genius right now? You've been at it for decades. What would you give yourself now?
1: I would give myself straight A's or 100% or a ten yes. ten. now. Uh, I started uh, focusing on that back in the 80s and have been focused on it a lot with 20,000 people ever since, plus myself. Uh, so um, I can definitely see the steady rise, like I would say in 1990, 30 years ago, I was probably 75% in my genius zone. And uh, then Conscious Loving came out, and we were on Oprah and a whole bunch of things. And that brought in more people. So I had more people to work with over the next 10 years. And so, uh, and I kept working on myself. And my goal was to be 100% in my genius zone by the end of the century, you know, by 2000. And so uh, I made it. And for the last 23 years, I've pretty much stayed there. And uh, once you get into your genius zone, there are some tricks of the trade to stay there. That's kind of the hard part is to stay there for a long time. And I can yeah. talk about that. Um, but uh, yeah, that's uh, I've had 23 years now of waking up every day feeling like the luckiest man alive because I get to live in my genius zone and I get to be married to Katie Hendricks.
0: Yes. And like you said, you get to work with so many people along the way. And one of the things that resonates so much with the book, The Genius Zone and Me, is that like this flywheel effect of individuals getting into their genius zone then helps unlock more people to do the same. And this idea of like raising consciousness is you know, why I do marketing, which is a bit, you know, some people don't see that connection, but I see, you know, getting your brilliance into the world as this like ripple effect of raising consciousness. And that is the big question, especially for us as coaches who are building businesses, you know, there for most of us is that phase of like, okay, I signed up to be a coach and now I have taxes and marketing and all these other things that I, you know, am picking up on this path. In your book, The Big Leap talks about the quadrants of helping you realize, you know, what is your zone of excellence versus your zone of genius? And I think at you know, the beginning of our business, we we can conceptualize that. But then on the path, things keep getting added. <laughs> so <laughs> yes. please talk to us about how we stay in it, even as we continue evolving and expanding.
1: Yes. Well, one thing that happens is. Most of us are not very good at savoring our own success. Um, I don't know if you've noticed that with people, but they are very quick to appreciate the good works of others or the inventions of others or what other people do, but they're very reluctant to talk about their own gifts and talents and what they're doing in the world. And so, you know you're in the field of marketing. I say people are marketing all day long, whether they know it or not. Everybody's in the process of marketing. It's just that many of us are marketing concepts like procrastination and settling for less and thinking poorly of ourselves. That's our product we're marketing. That was a big turning point for me uh, when I first started catching on to all this and started looking at my own zone of genius that I was only spending about 10% of my time in my own genius zone. And that horrified me when I first looked at it because I realized I had a lot of work to do myself to learn to live. I would have flashes of being in my genius zone. But like you say, staying there is a whole different thing. So here's a couple of things i found to watch out for. One thing that happens is once you start to be successful in your genius zone, other people will come along and offer you things. And you have to be very careful. They'll offer you deals, they'll offer you opportunities, because you're more successful, you're more out there. But the trap there is a lot of times what they're offering you is stuff that's in your excellence zone, stuff that they know you can do. And it's okay to do a little bit of that kind of thing, to pay the bills and everything, but be very careful about saying yes to things that are not in your genius zone. That's the number one thing that takes you out of your genius zone is people say, oh, okay, that's not really in my genius zone, but I could make $50,000 quickly doing that. So yes, I'm up. And I've done that myself. And I even had a pop quiz from the universe about 10 years ago, even though i had been really established in my genius zone, For many years, an opportunity came along to me where a famous person came along and offered me an opportunity to be in a business deal with him. And it wasn't in my genius zone, but I thought, oh, wow, there'd be so many other good things that came along with that. Maybe just this one time, I'll say yes. (laughs) Oh, that turned into tears within about six months. It was great for a little while. And then uh, he turned out to be the worst business partner. So anyway, I've been punished for saying yes to things that are not in my zone of genius. And I just don't do it anymore. You know, back when I was younger and hungrier, it made an easier decision sometimes to compromise my principles. was Back in the 80s and 90s, somebody asked Mick Jagger, uh, why he no longer took drugs, and he said, "Well, once you've been to a few funerals, you know you begin to wake up, and same thing with me, you know I began to see more and more of when I said yes to things that weren't in my genius zone, it never did work very well, so I just stopped doing it. And I found that anytime you say no to something that's not in your zone of genius, about half a dozen new things open up that are in your genius zone. It's like you have to kind of take the power of saying no. Ah, What I call a conscious no, not a no. ah, I've considered that and I've decided not to do it. If I'd had that 10-second conversation with the famous guy back in 2013, I could have saved myself a couple of years of time and some tears. Even though I made a little money on it, it it wasn't worth it.
0: Yeah, I feel like there's an underpinning of worthiness in this. And like you said, you know, being young or inexperienced or chasing the money can guide us to those unaligned yeses. And for me, I know I've done that in the times when I I don't feel worthy of like letting it be easy or truly living in my creativity. There's still some of that, you know, well, I can do it right. That zone of excellence piece. So how does worthiness play into that decision making that you're talking about?
1: Oh, really great question. Thank you for asking that. Um, The reason I'm saying it's such a great question is it's probably the number one unconscious thing that hooks people into doing an upper limits problem, hurting themselves or losing money or, you know, having unpleasant things happen. One of the big fears that human beings carries around is our fear that we're not worthy. Uh, Here at the Institute, we call it the fear that I'm fundamentally flawed in some way. Like some people think they're not smart enough to be successful, or they're the wrong weight, or they're the wrong skin color. I remember the first time we were on Oprah talking to her. I'd never met her before we were on her show. And, you know, just talking to her about the levels of stuff she had to get through To even get, uh, you know, she was first on a little public affairs show in Baltimore, Maryland. And but even to get there, she had to go through the gateway of you're a woman and a gateway of you're black and you're a gateway of you're overweight. And so every time she went through one of these gateways, then there was another one. (laughs) And finally, you know, she just kept opening and hanging in there and keeping her eye on the vision until she ended up uh, with that uh, show she owned in Chicago. And I probably wouldn't be sitting here talking to you unless uh, we'd been on that show a couple of times because it exposed us to an audience. I always say we went overnight from working with 10 couples in our living room to working with 10 million on Oprah uh, once we got out on her stage. So it really changed everything for us and uh, put us out there for we ended up doing almost 2 million frequent flyer miles of trips around the world doing relationship seminars. And actually that led to my writing The Big Leap because I was so tired of traveling around doing relationship seminars that I wanted to write another bestseller actually to take the attention off just doing relationship (laughs) seminars. And so uh, I wrote The Big Leap and um, it's been a great word of mouth bestseller ever since. It keeps selling more and more every year, which is really unusual for a book.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it is remarkable. It is easy to share, which we talk about also in in marketing. And I think that's a great example of perhaps a time where you went back into your zone of excellence. Like, okay, Oprah gave us all of this exposure. I can do retreats all over the world. I can travel. And then maybe it's not this specific example, but do you remember that conversation with yourself or that aha moment of like back to writing? Because that's clearly your zone of genius.
1: Yeah. I remember walking in the front door of our old building over when we were in uh, downtown Santa Barbara back in late nineties. I had just come back from doing seminars and something like 19 seminars in 21 days, and I was just blitzed as far as tired. And I remember coming in the door and I saw Katie, my wife, sitting there with our bookkeeper, and they both had kind of glum looks on their face. And the message that was making them so glum was that the previous year we'd made so much money, we had to pay so many taxes that I had to borrow money from myself to pay my taxes. And I'm standing there, you know, just come back off the road and gosh, I know I just made another half a million dollars out there on this last little circuit. Does that mean I'm going to have to borrow more money from myself to pay the time? Anyway, it was like a, why am I doing this kind of thing? And a heart sinking moment. And I remember talking to Katie later and thinking, let's do a little reinvention here. If we're having to give all of our money over to to the feds and to California and everything, we're doing something a little wrong. And so anyway, we reinvented our business and we did a few little things like getting rid of our beach house and getting rid of a mountain house and getting rid of a business building. And a lot of, you know, you might from the outside call it downsizing. I call it right-sizing because Katie and I realized we were spending so much of our time thinking about real estate, you know, because we had all these different places and things we owned and everything. And so, you know, it's like some guy said when he bought a Rolls Royce. He said the two best days in my life were the day I took ownership and the day I unloaded it on the next poor guy, yes. <laughs> you know. Yes. And so, uh, you know, we had a tremendous amount of success in the '90s, but it didn't lead to a lot of real soul satisfaction ultimately. And we realized it was because of that problem you know we were doing a lot of it for the money and you know both of us come from middle class or lower middle class backgrounds and so it felt good to have a lot of money pouring in but you know after you get a few wrinkles out of your stomach then you take a look and say wait a minute am i doing this for the right purpose
0: Okay. Well, I only have one house right now, but I can relate to so much of what you're saying. And in those moments, getting the clues both in energy, like you said, that soul satisfaction, and then also looking at the results and and looking at the numbers and asking yourself, like, does this make sense? And I talk a lot about plugging energy leaks so that we can win back the spaciousness that you're talking about, Right. To get back into the zone of genius. Okay, so spaciousness. Do you have something on that? I saw like a oh, full body well, nod.
1: <laughs> you know that I appreciate you bringing up that concept because let me get very philosophical here for a second, or physical, or physics, or whatever. But human beings see there's three levels of matter. There is physical matter. You and me have skin, and we're talking on machines, so there's physical matter. But then there's energy. And that's all the hums and buzzes and pulses and currents that you can feel inside you, as well as, you know, a lot of people are sensitive enough that they can kind of sense the energy in a room when they walk into it. So there's that energy level of being. So there's mass and then there's energy. But the third thing is space. And most of us have access to a lot more space than we give ourselves credit to, like If you look out at the nighttime sky, you can see that there's a whole bunch of stars. But if you look beyond the stars, there's an immense amount of space that's just somehow holding those stars. And so human beings are the same way. We have mass, we have a physical body, and we have energy. But then we have this vast amount of space inside us that we don't usually occupy because of the busy traffic jam going on in our mind all the time. But if you just take, like here we say, take three easy, slow, deep breaths. And if you take a breath that lasts about 10 seconds in and out, if you take three of those, science has actually measured that you turn off your stress chemistry in your body. So we're only three deep, easy breaths away from lowering our stress chemistry. I would have liked to have learned that in the first grade or in the 12th grade right. or in my PhD training somewhere along the line. I wish somebody had told me just ah, take three easy breaths sometime when things are looking hard or when you're feeling stressed out or if you're sad or scared or angry or if you're feeling waves of delight. Take three easy breaths to feel that because. That takes you into this dimension of life that I call space. And it's a great place to be because it's really the only place where we can experience ultimate freedom and peace is if you can feel your way into that space in yourself that holds all of your emotions, but is not your emotions or holds all of your thoughts, but it's not just your thoughts. So there's this vast space that all of those occur in. And actually, I don't know if I wrote about this in The Big Leap, but did I write in there about that time I fell on the ice? I think so. Okay, well, can I I give you a two-minute version of what happened? Because it's very key to this whole space issue. Yeah,
0: yeah. If you've been banging on the marketing drum for a while now, and you're not seeing as many sales calls as you'd like, your messaging might be misaligned with your human design. Human design gives you a priceless look into your soul's blueprint and how you are uniquely positioned to exchange energy with the world. And in marketing, it's all about the energy. Your marketing angle is in your human design profile. And if you want to learn more about how to position your messaging according to your specific profile type, grab our free feminine marketing boutique manual, Aligned Attraction, How to Leverage Human Design in Your Marketing. It's loaded with swipe copy and custom calls to action for your profile type. Follow the link in the show notes to grab it.
1: I was once very obese. I'd grown up. I was an obese kid. I had something wrong. I was taken around to umpteen medical specialists, and I was shot up with hormones. And one year, they put me on amphetamines when I was in the ninth grade. So I was wired all the time, but I made straight A's because I, I couldn't sleep at night. And so as soon as they unplugged me from the amphetamines, I went zoom back to being B's and C's again. So I struggled with obesity. Finally, at age 24, I solved the problem, but not through taking any pills or anything. On uh let's see, I believe it was a January day in 1969. I was 24 years old, and I weighed more than 300 pounds. If you look at me today, I'm 180 pounds, I'm six feet tall, you'd say, there goes an athletic looking old guy. But 300 pounds, definitely not athletic. And so there I was, 100 pounds overweight. I was stuck in a terrible relationship I'd gotten into, but I couldn't figure out how to get out of And I didn't have money to move to another place, I had something like $39 in the bank. I smoked heavily. I was a two or three pack a day cigarette smoker. Um, Anyway, I was in a job I didn't like. Everything was wrong in my life. So I went out for a walk one day to kind of clear my head. And I slipped on the ice and went flam down on my back. And, you know, 300 pounds is approximately what a refrigerator weighs. So now on my back and I banged my head, although I didn't knock myself out. But I I kind of, I call it now having an out of Hendrix experience because it was like for two minutes, it knocked me into a, a different perception of myself. And I could see down through these layers of feelings I'd never talked about, anger and sadness and fear. And I could see how my fat was a defense against letting myself feel and be who I really was that I overate when I was scared or angry or sad. and. So, that regardless of whatever was wrong with my glands, that was a problem. And but I, as I was laying there on the ice, I realized oh, there's this whole part of me that's beyond all of my emotions and my thoughts there's what I called at the time, pure consciousness, this big open space inside me. And I'd never noticed it before because I think I was so caught up in my mind and everything that I'd never realized this consciousness. And I made this declaration as I was coming back to my regular wits, realizing I was on the ground and it was cold and everything. I made this vow. I said, I'm going to do everything I can to feel that pure consciousness in every moment of my life. And so that declaration, that commitment led me to start eating a different way. I started eating only foods that seemed to feed that pure consciousness that didn't feed my old fat body. And within 30 days, I'd lost 35 pounds just by changing what I ate. I didn't do any exercise or anything. That was astounding to me. So anyway, uh, I, I find that if we can tune in inside and let ourselves really experience whatever we're experiencing, that act also opens up that feeling of spaciousness inside. When we have a problem, oftentimes our old unconscious mind wants to fix that as quickly as possible. And it'll come up with all sorts of solutions, not all of which are great for us. But what we need to do, let's say you're feeling sad. I remember I noticed this particularly um, in that relationship, that troubled relationship, because we had to break up and I was feeling sad. And I could feel how I didn't want to let myself feel that. You know, I wanted to go out and do something or avoid it or eat something. But I realized if I simply let myself feel it, breathe with it, open up to it, what I call savoring, you know, just letting myself savor it, even though it was an unpleasant experience, I learned that if I let myself savor it, it went away. If I tried to get rid of it, it stayed there. And that was a huge learning for me to let myself feel things rather than rush on past them. And so uh, to this day, that's one of the great learnings that I've ever experienced, because within a year, I lost more than 100 pounds. My vision changed. I no longer had to wear glasses when I took my driver's test. And I got into a better relationship. Uh, As of 1980, Katie and I met each other and fell in love. And so we're in our 44th year together. So everything that good happened in my life, I think, started flowing from that moment on the ice where I made that decision about bringing forth pure consciousness and stopping all the stuff that had made me fat and unconscious.
0: Yes, yes, yes. Thank you for taking it to the philosophical level. Because when you said I wish they had taught me to take three deep breaths in first grade to feel that spaciousness, I was thinking I wish someone had told me to clean my closets while I was building a business because (laughs) I have seen like the material less material creates for me. I know it's also mental real estate that that spaciousness has allowed And in my own way, tapping into the spaciousness has helped me get that clear vision. For you, it was health and feeling your feelings. And for me, it's the type of business owner that I want to be. And in doing that, becoming clear because of the space on who she is, I've been able to become a much better delegator, which is a huge piece of getting into your zone of genius. And it's just by asking myself, like, who can help me with this? what does she do? Who does she hire? So I would love to hear, because I know you've mentioned in your books, you weren't a natural delegator. (laughs) And most of us as visionaries and generators of ideas and books, we don't, you know, think about teaching someone else our creativity or giving them other pieces of, you know, how we run our life. So talk to us a little bit about how to delegate mindfully in a way that helps other people also live in their zone of genius.
1: Yes. Well, one good way to think about it, Hannah, is to think about how can I give away something that's not in my genius zone that might be in somebody else's genius zone? So that's a new concept of delegation. When I think, when I used to think of the hard times I have with delegations, it was asking somebody to do something I didn't want to do. I felt guilty about that. Even though the person might be paid for it, I would feel guilty about it. I don't feel that anymore, also because I've had a knack over the past bunch of years for hiring people that are smarter than I am in certain ways. Yes. you know I want I want everybody here to be in their genius zone, and you know I've got to brag a little about about Margaret, our executive administrator. she is so good at simply executing tasks that I would find boring or you know, difficult to do, but she is just boom, boom, boom. And it doesn't she never seems to be stressed out by it or anything like that. So it's a natural gift of hers to, you know, and she's got five kids and (laughs) seven grandkids. So I can see how she got to that place in a way, (laughs) because she had to be good at delegating things, I think. But she is so good at executing tasks. And what she's also good at is finding other people to do things she doesn't feel good about doing that they love to do. So we're building these stacks of people here, all of who are doing things they love to do, like our accountant and our bookkeeper. Now for me, you know, I always say my math skills stopped around fourth grade when they were doing long division. That was, (laughs) that was a tough concept for me to master. Um, and I barely made it through PhD training, all the statistics and everything. but um, anyway, math is not my strong suit, but our engine our um, our accountant and bookkeeper, they just love that and they love talking about the numbers and we've had the same one for years and years and years because they're always in such a positive mood about it. So that helps me with delegation. If I can have the context for delegation be putting something in somebody else's genius box that's not in mine. And so that's what I aim for when I uh, delegate. Find people people that are smarter than you in a given area.
0: Yes. Yes, we're using human design on our team to really see those puzzle pieces of like, what are you wired for? Like, what is your soul's blueprint? And yes, you need to have the work experience and you know how to do the task. But I've also started hiring more for like genius zones instead of, yeah, here's what I don't want to do or here's what's annoying me. Let me just kind of drive by and give it to someone else and, and hope for the best. And it's amazing how the energy game also up levels, right? Like, I'm, I interacted with Margaret to book this podcast and she's lovely. And that energy matters, especially when you're building a business and interacting with customers or readers. I think it's really important for us to know that we're, like you said, hiring people smarter than us, not just because they can do it or be for the paycheck. And so much of this. You talked about at the end of the genius zone and this shift that we're feeling. I definitely know this paradigm, which has historically been more masculine, more regimented, more climb the corporate ladder, duplicate your suburbs, right? Like we're now shifting into a much more feminine era. And we also, I also know astrology, like the age of Aquarius is coming, which truly is calling us to step into our creativity and set down a lot of the old ways of doing things, right? Like just this is how you hire people or this is how you delegate. So I'd love to hear your sort of pulse on what it's going to take for us as visionaries or creatives to step up into this world that's changing, right? Not just AI and other tools that we're getting, but like humans really caring about expressing themselves and leaving an impact other than just Money or material things. Um, so, I guess my question is first, you know, are you sensing this shift? And what advice would you have for those of us who want to continue evolving and living 100% in our creativity?
1: Well, I think from my travels around the world that I see consciousness raising very rapidly. And I want to give women a great deal of credit for that because. You know, like uh, I grew up in a family of really strong women. My aunt was a speechwriter for a senator, my mother was the mayor of the town, my aunt was a prominent school teacher, and my grandmother, there's no way to describe her, she was like Queen Victoria, you know, she yeah. owned a lot of space in herself. So I was very blessed in that regard. And one of the things that I've seen during my career is the the number of amazing women. And, you know, I see them in business because I do a lot of work with executive uh, coaching and that kind of thing. And so I get to see them all the time flourishing as they get more into their genius zone and corporate settings. But I think it's one of the greatest trends of our time that, you know, like women are teaching things by the way they go about doing things that are so important for males to learn you know, like I oftentimes see women are good at solving a problem without making everybody wrong or without making the other person wrong. Now, that is a skill that men could really use in boardrooms across the world, because I I sometimes get uh, what I call parachuted into boardrooms to help solve some thorny problem that they can't get past. And I don't do it much anymore because I charge so much money for it now that nobody wants to hire me anymore. But uh, back in the days, I did it for more reasonable amounts of money. I would come in and here's where they would all be stuck. It would usually be men and they would be stuck around some issue they were either sad or afraid about, but they hadn't declared that. And so a lot of times it was just pure emotional work like I can remember a time down at Dell computer when I came in and the top three people were kind of in an interlock. And it was because there was an unnamed fear that hadn't been really put forth. And the moment they could see that and feel that, they quickly dropped into their ability to solve the problem. So if there's something in a situation that people aren't willing to look at or aren't willing to experience or talk about, that becomes a driving force in keeping the problem alive. And so a lot of times it was so simple to me because I could walk into the room And I could see people's body language. You know, their arms would be folded across their chest and they'd be sitting back with a kind of a suspicious look on their face. And to watch them go from that to working together again in an hour, that's one of the most satisfying things kind of from a coach and consultant's uh, point of view. And in a way, there's nothing special about it if you just do the things that we know how to do. But people forget them when they're under stress. You know, they forget to talk about their fear and they forget to listen generously to the other person. They start listening to make him wrong or listening to rebut him or something like that.
0: Or in our line of work, we're like in the box, like we have the principles, we know the tools. And then we can't like see ourselves in the box of like, oh, yeah, like we should be practicing what we preach and we should be picking up these tools and, you know, using what we know, that that outside perspective. I know, um, you know, the listener understands that idea of like tuning back in, getting that outside perspective to remember that so much of the conflict or the frustration is an emotional thing. And just like you're talking about finding that spaciousness, taking those breaths, right? Like the spaciousness and the inner work is what all the outer work can can come from. So I'm I, curious. Yeah,
1: there, when t- I just brought to mind, uh, I used to um, often share the stage with uh, the late Bob Proctor and he always used to say the instructions for how to get out of the box unfortunately are written on the outside of the box.
0: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yes, yes, yes. So uh, I'm so curious for you Dr. Hendricks, what is next? Are you working on more books? What can we what's on your horizon for this new era?
1: Ooh, great question. Well, let me give you a quick stack of things. First of all, <laughs> What you can't see is the bottom half of my right leg here. I broke my femur yes. in uh, at the end of March, and I've been rehabbing. I broke my femur in five places and cracked my knee. And so I have a big rod down the middle of my femur and four or five bolts that are holding me together. Twelve weeks later, I'm right now in the transition from using a walker to using a cane. And so I'm, I've been rehabbing that madly for the past three months and that's frankly taken quite a bit of energy so i i haven't really been thinking about i've been kind of enjoying not writing actually frankly just focusing on the simple things of life so uh, like every day i go out in my backyard and sit in the sun for a while you know to to keep connected to nature and to keep life uh life energy flowing through me and that's so that's one thing i've been working on and that's going to eventually come to an end presumably when i get both legs working under me again. So that's a biggie. But also another biggie just kind of fell into my lap a few weeks ago. There's a big company or several big companies that buys up the catalog of musicians that have had a number of hits that are bringing in a steady amount of money or buys up the rights to collect the royalties of authors that have got a steady stream of income coming in. And they're they're pure money guys. They'll They'll give you a couple of million bucks if they think they're going to make a couple of million bucks back from collecting your royalties. And so they're money guys. They'll give it to you up front. And I was recently approached uh, by a big company that wants to uh, buy my rights for a generous seven-figure amount. And I'm going to go ahead and do it because then they will manage my literary legacy as a way after I'm not around here and I need somebody to do that anyway. So I'm very blessed that I have books that are bringing in you know steady amount of royalties even after some of them have been out there for 30 or 40 years. And so uh, I'm about to we'll talk do about one the bigger deals of, of my life.
0: Yeah, I mean, I just, I love that you're sharing that because it's such a great result. Like the payoff, literally, of committing your life to living 100% in creativity, staying in that genius zone. And I know at the beginning or when you like recommit, right? Recommit to the genius zone. Sometimes there's some letting go, clearing space, cleaning the garage, maybe letting some people go. Um, but you are just a, such a testament of walking the walk. Well, soon you'll be back walking <laughs> the <you>. walk. <laughs> um, and, Limping the and limp. <laughs> there we go. There we go. I, I won't ask if it was an ALP or not. Uh, we won't get into that. But
1: <laughs> Well, actually, I've done, of course, a lot of thinking about that. Uh, yeah. I've never broken a bone before. So I think it was just a An unconscious accident. I can't think of any good reason I would have upper limited myself. Things have been great for a long time. I'm, I'm probably one of the few people. And the physical
0: manifestations, you know, all around you otherwise are such a testament to your your work. And I said before, you know, your first book, The Big Leap, is what you know putting into practice has helped us three x revenue a few years ago, and now we're putting into work, the the genius zone. So let me know when you need me to write that testimonial for you. I'd be more than happy. I would love <laughs> you
1: to write it. I would love, okay. I'm, I'm looking for uh, prominent people such as yourself, because what I forgot to mention is I have a big new book coming out in February, which Amazing. is Your Big Leap Year, 365 Days of Big Leaps. So it's something you can do every day, some little thing you can do every day. You touched on something earlier that I want to Zoom in on which is that a lot of little choices. You know, you might have a big zoom boom experience of getting into your genius, Don, but it's little choices that'll get you there and little choices that it'll keep you there. You know, the choice of am I going to need an apple or the extra large bag of onion chips? Uh, Am I going to go out for A mile walk, or am I going to catch this episode of Wheel of Fortune? You know, those little choices make a huge difference. And so, um, you know, I'm uh, all my dreams have come true, blessedly, uh, or are still coming true. Like one of my dreams is to live in a loving relationship with the woman of my dreams. So that's still happening, even after 44 years, which is kind of the big achievement of my life. Uh, nobody else in my family has ever put together one of those long term loving relationships. There are people in my family that have been married a long time, but they uh, quit speaking to each other, uh, you know, 30 years into it or something like that. So, Katie and I are having the time of our lives in our 70s. And so, it is possible to uh, Really, have a golden experience in your golden years. Part of it, I think, is neither of us have the slightest intention of ever retiring. (laughs) You know, like, what would I do instead of sitting around talking to interesting people like you about the most interesting thing in the world to me, which is how to optimize our experience as human beings, how to be the geniuses that we are? Uh, So it doesn't matter if I'm you know, doing that on a TV show or doing that here in the neighborhood. Or I live across the street from a junior high school who uh, they like to have me come over sometime and talk to the junior high kids about uh, their genius and that kind of thing, which I love to do. You know, it's just the most fun thing you might ever imagine. It's just as much fun as sitting there with the head of Microsoft or something. And uh, so um, to me, as long as I get to make my mantra come true, that every day I expand in love, creativity, and abundance as I inspire other people to do the same. As long as I can be doing that every day, I'm where I'm supposed to be.
0: Yes. Well, thank you for leading the way. My pleasure. Okay, so after all that talk, you and I both know that action brings clarity, so here's what to do next. Go to www.dfycopywriting.org free to get your current marketing appraised by the done for you marketing team. That's us. <laughs> we want to help you lay all the puzzle pieces of your brand and business on the table so you can see exactly where you're totally on point with your messaging and where you need to zhuzh it up to get you even better results and more clients. And if you got a gem out of this episode specifically, please let us know. Screenshot, share to Instagram and tag Hannah Hermanson underscore and make sure all of your biz besties know about this episode. Lastly, if you're getting consistent value from our show, please take two minutes to leave us a review and let us know what you're loving and what you love to see more of. We love seeing you and we'll be back here next week with another episode.